the tendency is just to check out and say, yeah, I know that one. I've heard about that one. I remember when I was five and, and my Sunday school teacher taught me about that. That's not what I want to happen today. I really want to look at this really famous parable and maybe look at it uh, through new lenses, through a, through a different perspective. But before we get there today, four o'clock, hymn sing. Come on out and uh, in, enjoy a time. Marsha and Mark Barons are going to be leading us as we just sing first verses of uh, favorite hymns. And then we'll have a light supper that will follow Tuesday night. Uh, under new leadership, Proverbs 31 cooking will resume. And we're really excited. We're thankful for those that led that ministry for many years. And we're thankful for the new leadership. And uh, you can get info on that in your bulletin. But come on out, ladies, and you can cook this Tuesday evening. This Saturday, the Y Tri, the Clinton YMCA Triathlon, 400-yard swim, 12-mile bike ride, 5K trail run. Come on out. It's going to be a blast. Somebody said I haven't trained very well. There will be medical personnel available if you have any trouble. So I'm doing it. We can have a lot of fun together. And then two weeks from tonight is our block party, the second annual. We're going to be saturating our community this week with door hangers. And uh, we want you to spread the word. I, I want a thousand people to come out that night. And it doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter what church they're a part of, if they don't have a church. Uh, this is a community gathering, and we want to really have a blast on August 28th, 5 p.m. Well, the parable of the Good Samaritan, I can't quantify this, but I think it's probably the most famous of the parables. I think we just did a survey, even of people that, that don't go to church on a regular basis. Even with people that have a very limited knowledge of the Christian faith, They've heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan. I mean, that's language that we use today in our culture. He is a Good Samaritan. She is a Good Samaritan. And so I want to look at it today. Last week we talked about what's it mean to be light? What's it mean to be the light of the world? What's it mean that a city on a hill cannot be hidden? This week we're talking about how can I be a blessing? And I think this parable, this parable about being a neighbor really summarizes for us some really um, thought-provoking moving forward perspective about how can I be a blessing? How can I excel in the art of neighboring? Now, most people start reading the parable in verse 30 when Jesus tells the parable. And when you do that, you miss the context. So I want to start in verse 25 and give you the context why Jesus told the parable when he did. Verse 25 reads like this. It says, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? And so he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Well, it's an encounter with a, a lawyer, we're going to call him, and Jesus. But this isn't a lawyer uh, like we would think of a lawyer in the 21st century. This is someone that's an expert in the law. They know the Pentateuch. They've memorized the commandments. They know every nook and cranny of possible interpretation. And as I look at this, I see three things unfolding. And number one is this, this lawyer he's really not trying to learn. He's really not trying to develop a stronger faith. He's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to trap Jesus. 
He's hoping that he's going to catch Jesus in kind of an aha moment. He's going to back Jesus into a corner, and he's going to be able to prove to the crowds that are following this very simple Galilean carpenter that he, the legal expert, is a little more sharper than Jesus. But here's what happens. The lawyer, when asked with a question, Jesus responds to the question with a question. The lawyer doesn't go to Exodus chapter 20, where you would think he might go. He doesn't go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, where you would think he might go. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 give us the Ten Commandments. Instead, he goes to Deuteronomy chapter 6. You might know it as the Shema, Hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He goes to Leviticus chapter 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. Very, very profound on, on the part of this legal expert. And Jesus approves. Jesus said, you're right. Oh, sharp one, you've got it all figured out. So go and do it and you will live. It should be the end of the conversation, but this is the third thing. Notice here, this lawyer is in the business of justifying his religious life. That's what the text tells us. He wanted to justify himself. I don't even know what that really means. I don't know if it means that he wasn't living the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and he didn't love his neighbor as himself, and he wanted to justify the way he lived his life, or maybe he wanted to justify his perspective on the faith. But again, he's not satisfied with a well-done, good answer, move on. He asked Jesus a question, and it's a question that leads into this parable. Who is my neighbor? I'd like to take a, a quick 30-second time out from this sermon to ask you to ponder a question for just a moment. And if you're sitting next to the people that you like, feel free to ponder it with them. Name the perfect neighbor. Define the ideal neighbor. Ready, get set, go. Perfect neighbor. And it's okay to talk in church. Go ahead, it's fine. Perfect neighbor, ideal neighbor. What do you think? Okay, that's enough. You're having way too much fun for church. There's too much smiling and giggling going on. In a big, booming, Greg Taylor kind of voice, I want to hear a couple people define the perfect neighbor. Ready, get set, go. What's that? They care, okay? They're friendly, okay? Maybe in the winter they shovel the snow so you don't get out and have to do it. Maybe when you're injured, they help you out in one way or another. It's fun to kind of define the perfect neighbor, but I've got a second game for you. Let's talk about the nightmare neighbor. Don't name names, okay? People are near. Think for just a moment about the nightmare neighbor. Ready, get set, go. Nightmare neighbor.
Y'all seem more animated with the whole nightmare neighbor thing than the ideal neighbor thing. Um, I've got to tell you, we've been blessed with awesome neighbors. We have had uh, to the west, um, the Montgomery family, they, they were like second grandparents to my kids. We've had good neighbors to the east as well. I've never really experienced the whole nightmare neighbor thing, but I know a lot of you have, and I know that because you put stories on Facebook. I can read your Facebook stories of nightmare neighbor instances. Um, if you want to know more about nightmare neighbors, I recommend you go to mybadneighbors.com. It's a blog that somebody started in protest with his awful neighbors, and he's really got some things going for him there. There's also rudeneighbor.com. You can go there and find great stories. And probably my favorite of all, neighborsfromhell.com. 12 stories that I can't believe I read. I'll I'll just give you two. Um, One was um, neighbor talked about how that their next door neighbor got a great Dane. And they trained the great Dane to go to the bathroom, not in their own yard, but in the neighbor's yard. So we're not talking Chihuahua, we're not talking Little, we're talking Great Dane, Great Droppings, you get the picture, it wasn't, it wasn't a good thing at all. The second story I can't believe is true, but supposedly happened in a small Midwestern town, and a family moved in from New York City, and they were in the habit of nude sunbathing in the backyard. No fence, no privacy whatsoever, so um, boy am I thankful I've never experienced that. But here's the point. Here's the point. Um, Neighbors can make or break a lot. They really can. Neighbors can make all the difference in the world. And Jesus has asked a question, who is my neighbor? I think one of the problems that Christians have had through the years is how they've viewed this parable, how we have viewed this whole idea of being a neighbor. It's really about your point of view. And so many times I think geography. So many times we think geography. We think the person living to the west or the person living to the east or the person across the street. And I want to challenge you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul this morning. He wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, we're no longer going to view anyone from a worldly point of view. He said, we're going to start looking at people through a spiritual perspective. We're changing. We're not going to do the worldly point of view. We're going to have a spiritual perspective. He went on and said, if anyone is in Christ, and many of us, maybe most of us that are gathered here today, we are in Christ. You are a new creation. So with that seed being planted that you are a new creation, that we are a new creation, let's consider this whole idea of the art of neighboring. And it gets us to the parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke records it like this. In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And just a quick tidbit, you always went down from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city on a hill. It was possible to go up from Jerusalem. If you were in Jerusalem and you were going anywhere, north, south, east, west, you were going down. And so a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers and they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, 
pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins. Each silver coin was the equivalent of one day's wage. Think about that for just a minute. How much do you make when you work a day? Two days wage was taken out right here. And he gave two days wage to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers, Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In this parable, we see a first century crisis situation. The the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho was about 17 miles in distance, descending sharply toward the Jordan River just north of the Dead Sea. The road was curved, it was rugged, rocky terrain was all around, excellent spots for robbers to hide. It was considered one of the most dangerous roads in the entire first century world, which is really saying a lot because all travel in the first century road was considered dangerous. And sure enough, the man is beaten, he's robbed, his clothes are taken, he's left close to dead. It's a first century crisis situation. And three men find themselves, in Jesus' parable, with opportunities to make a statement. What kind of statement would you make if you found yourself in such a situation? You think of this poor man, and he needs a hero. He needs a savior. He needs someone to stand up and to rise up and to help him in the midst of his first century crisis. And the first person that comes along is none other than a priest, a religious leader. How lucky could this guy really be? In the 21st century, we might call him a pastor or a minister or a reverend or an evangelist. But the point here is simple. A professional clergyman comes upon the situation. Now, legend says that this professional clergyman, this priest, every single day of his life in the first century world, before he did anything, would wake up and would recite two verses of Scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he knew the law. He knew all about the the so-called art of neighboring. And what is his response? He just keeps on traveling by. Why would he do that? I, I don't know. Maybe he knew some of the other law in the Old Testament that said that if you actually touched a dead body, you were defiled and you had to go through a pretty significant process of cleansing. And maybe, just maybe, he had a lot on his to-do list and he didn't have time to deal with the cleansing He didn't have time to go through all the rituals, so he was just going to walk on and let someone else deal with the crisis situation. Why did the professional preacher walk on? We don't know. But the point is, he wasn't the hero he could have been after all. But there's still hope for this injured man. Because as Jesus tells the parable, next comes a Levite. What was a Levite? Well, the Levite would not be a professional minister of the day. He would not have the prestige as maybe a priest, but think of him more in terms of maybe a lay leader, very involved in day-to-day meaningful ministry. And he is moved to the other side of the road, and he keeps on walking. Why would this Levite 
not stop. Well, maybe he considered his to-do list and all the people and things that were on the list. And he thought to himself, I just simply don't have time to deal with this first century crisis situation. Well, the third person's a Samaritan. And for us, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot. What's a Samaritan? What's the difference between a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan? I'm going to give you like a 60-second history lesson. When the northern kingdom of Israel fell, the Assyrians, awful people, bad people, they took a lot of the, the residents of the northern kingdom and led them off to foreign lands, and they took people from foreign lands, and they brought them to the territory, Samaria, of the northern kingdom. And before long, there was a lot of intermarrying going on which was prohibited in the Old Testament. And before long, there was a real mixing of religions. And so Jewish people looked at Samaritans as sellouts. They looked at Samaritans as people that were unclean. They weren't as close to God as they were. And so there's a lot of hatred towards Samaritans. If you were looking at this parable through Jewish lenses, one commentator said, Samaritans represent the ultimate despised group among first century Jews. Fred Craddock put it like this, ceremonially unclean, socially outcast, religiously a heretic, this Samaritan is the very opposite of the lawyer, the priest, and the Levite. And yet he is the hero. And yet he is the one that's willing to stand up and meet a first century crisis need. Mark Moore used to teach at Ozark Christian College. He's now at an enormously large church in Arizona. And here's what he wrote about it. He said, he bound up his wounds, perhaps making bandages with his own clothes. He poured his own wine on his wounds as a disinfectant. He poured his own oil on his wounds to soothe the pain. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He spent his own money for the man's lodging and food. It was not that he liked the man. It's that the man had a need. And so that leads us to just a, a really obvious revelation, hopefully for you today. Jesus tells us who our neighbor really is. And this is really the point of the message. If you don't get anything else, if you are out late and you're having a hard time staying away, get this next thing. Here's who our neighbor really is. Anyone whose need we see and we're in a position to meet it. That's your neighbor. That's my neighbor. Anyone that we see has a need, and we are in a position to meet that need. Not about geography. Not about race. Not about heritage. Not about church background. Not about how much money or how little money or how big the house or how small the trailer. Anyone that we see that has a need, and we are in a position to meet. And so let me give you three reflections, and then I want to show you a video, and I've got a challenge for you. Reflection number one is this. Biblical knowledge, religious ritual alone does not warm the heart of God. And I, I love that phrase, warm the heart of God. I, I would like to think that my life warms the heart of God, and your life warms the heart of God. And I know I fail miserably at that at times. But I want you to see just being religious, just knowing Scripture alone won't pull that off. Should we study the Bible? Absolutely. 
Should we go to church? Absolutely. If you're not in the habit of studying your Bible, if you're not in the habit of being in worship, I implore you to, to make that a habit in your life. But that alone does not warm the heart of God. But here's the point. Neither does what I'm going to call cocoon Christianity. And cocoon Christianity is I put a, a cocoon around my life. And I keep the big bad world out. All the bad people are out. And I have, I'm just in my cocoon. And I'm just doing my cocoon kind of things. And the problem with that is I can't be the salt of the earth. And I can't be the light. I can't be a neighbor that makes a difference if I'm living in a cocoon. Number two, and this is hard for some of us, we have to stop thinking geography. And we have to start thinking opportunity. Um, we have Jim Turney with us. I think, is Jim here? Jim Turney, are you in here right now? Are you made... Oh, he's over here. Jim Turney is from, Jim, stand up for just a moment. He's uh, from our church, grew up here, Timothy of our church, Bible college grad, and he is ministering at a church in the Hartford, Connecticut area. He just shared with a bunch of us during the Bible school hour, and, and I was really moved by something that Jim shared. They had reached out to the schools in their immediate area and said, we want to do a backpack program. We want to help you. And the school said, that's okay. We've got it. We're good. And so they went to maybe one of the most needy areas in all of Hartford. And they said, here we are. We see your need. Let us help. And people are coming to Jesus because of it. And so I've got to stop thinking just geography. You have to stop thinking just geography. And we have to start seeing opportunities. And number three is huge. You can't miss this. Christ followers cannot fail at the art of neighboring. And, and here's an observation. I think some of us are really close to doing just that. We're so wrapped up in our lives. We're so wrapped up in the things that we do. And a lot of the things that we do are good things. But we're missing opportunities. We're failing at the art of neighboring. And so my bottom line for you is this. I want to bring out really the only command of the parable. There's really only one command, and it's the last thing that Jesus said to Mr. Legal Eagle. What did he say to him? He said, go and do likewise. He said, go and do. I promise you that is not what Mr. Hotshot Legal Guy thought was going to play out. No way, Jose, did he think he had to roll up his sleeves and get busy with people who had needs to be met. And if we're being honest, sometimes we don't want to go down that road either. The command of Jesus, go and do likewise. Adam put together a video, and I want us to check it out at this time. trouble now i thought how do we ever get so far down and how's it ever gonna turn around so i turned my eyes to heaven i thought god why don't you do something well i just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty children sold into slavery the thought disgusted me so i shook my fist at heaven i said god why don't you do something
I heart DeWitt County. I heart DeWitt County. That, that's the shirt I'm wearing. A lot of you are wearing. We're selling these for less than our cost. We want to saturate our community with the, this idea of I heart DeWitt County. Before the service is over today, the ushers are going to give you a business card. We've got thousands of these. We invite you to take dozens if you want. And we just, we want you to think outside the box. Mandy Reese, one of our awesome staff members, came to me several months ago and said, I have an idea for our August series, Love Where, You're, Where You Are. And she said, I don't know if it's a good idea for us or not, and it's a great idea for us. And you have a bulletin insert. Grab, grab the white bulletin insert before you leave today. And this, this is just a start. These are just a couple of ideas. I don't know that we've ever seen what happens to our community. When hundreds of people in love with Jesus Christ excel in the art of neighboring. And so I leave you with a question. What are you willing to do? I heart DeWitt County. How about you? God, thank you for today. And thank you for the chance to, uh, to gather, to study, to, to look at this famous parable. And God... I know there's times I'm not very good at the art of neighboring. I know there's times I'm really good at, at just being into what Greg Taylor wants. What's good for the Taylor family. And so God, help me to, to no longer view my community, our community, from a worldly point of view. Help, help us to, to be reminded that because we're in Christ, we're, we're new, we're a new creation. So give us new eyes, give, give us a, a new view, give us a better perspective. And God, it's my prayer of these next couple weeks leading up to the block party. Thousands of lives will be touched with the love of Jesus one way or another. God, help us to love our community with the love of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.